people are yearning for information, having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Susan Orlean is a journalist and best-selling author of The Orchid Thief and the Library Book. She has been a staff writer for The New Yorker since 1992 and has contributed articles to many magazines, including Vogue, Rolling Stone, Esquire, and Outside. Susan is a stupendous researcher and writer who has the ability to make virtually any subject interesting. Trisha and I had the privilege of meeting Susan most recently at the National Celebration of Reading, where she read from her most recent book, The Library Book. Welcome, Susan, to Health Gig. Thank you. I'm so happy to be on the show with you. You grew up in Shaker Heights, Ohio, the daughter of Edith and Arthur, which, by the way, are the most wonderful names. <laughs> Dora said I, she wants to use those names. I do somehow. <laughs> I want to name something, somebody, Edith and Arthur. They're great, and they've sort of aged well. Yes, they're great. <laughs> what kind of upbringing did you have in Shaker Heights, Ohio? You know, Shaker is a really interesting community. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. It's also a community that emphasized and practically worshipped education. So the school system was really exceptional. It was also a very progressive community that integrated the schools voluntarily in the 60s. So even though it's an affluent community and in this country, you would instantly assume that means it's an entirely white community, but actually the school that I went to was really integrated, and I feel very lucky. I had an unusual educational experience because of that. You know, my dad was a real estate developer and had his own business, and my mom worked in a bank from the time I was five. So I also had the unusual experience in that era of having a mom who worked. Yeah. And I think that that definitely had an effect on me. I mean, most of the moms I knew didn't work, but my mom, she didn't work full time. But from the time I was really young, she had a job and took it very seriously. And I think that was something of an inspiration for me, or it just affected me from the time I was very young, the idea that women would work and have a life outside of their home, as well as she was an incredibly domestic person. I didn't have a lick of food that wasn't homemade until I was in college. I mean, my mother was a crazy baker and cook and definitely a superwoman in a lot of ways. I don't quite know how she did it. I sort of marvel at it even now when I'm trying to navigate the world between my work life and my domestic life. And I think, how did my mom do this? She was (laughs) amazing. I have a brother and a sister. I'm the youngest. And I kind of love that position of being the youngest kid, Mm -hmm. I have to admit. My sister's two years older than me and my brother's two years older than her. So we were kind of evenly spaced. We traveled a fair amount, especially around the U.S., which was a wonderful part of my childhood. We did a lot of road trips Hmm. and drove across country the first time when I was five or six years old 
Ohio to Texas because we had a wedding to go to, and then from Texas to California, and then back to Ohio. I kept a journal of that trip, at least as much as a five or six-year-old can keep a journal, which was probably pretty minimal, but (laughs) I constructed it as my first book, which was the story of our trip across the country. I would give my right arm to find that book. I can't find it. And it's amazing because my mom kept everything of ours, but I haven't yet stumbled across this. Those road trips were amazing. I mean, they were really a wonderful way to get to know the country. My dad and my mom to some degree, but my dad especially was a great explorer. He would just get in the car and we would just go. And if a road looked interesting, we would take that road. Fun. Really taught me to keep my eyes open and to be curious. If there's anything that I feel lucky to have been imbued with, it's that persistent curiosity about the world, about other people, and just what's around the next corner. I think that it really influenced me as a writer, and it's kind of my most important tool, that curiosity. And I really think it was something that started when I was that young, and those adventures that we would take where we would kind of just go, and we had a destination, but along the way, we would take detours and stop at odd places that we would see along the road, and it's kind of the way that I still live my life. And that's what's made you the researcher, I guess you are, that you're well known for. You know, when I look at it now, I realize that I do exactly the same thing that I've done since I was that five-year-old in the backseat. And that was see a funny sign or a road that looked interesting. And my dad would say, let's check it out. That spirit is really a lot of what inspired me. And it's really the way I do my work. I usually have a destination in mind, namely answering a question that has arisen that made me want to write what I'm writing. But how I get there is a series of seeing roads that look kind of interesting and going down those roads. That makes so much sense in the stories that you've chosen to write about. That's just so incredible that you just set out and then you just wait to see what happens or what questions you might ask yourself and then do it. You know, I've been very lucky. I've certainly done lots of work where there was a specific assignment to profile person X and there's kind of one way to do it and you do it. But most of my professional life, I've been given the freedom and I've had the confidence of editors who said, go see what is out there. When I started working on The Orchid Thief, which was my book that came out in 1990, I remember going into my publisher and thinking, this is going to sound like a really strange idea for a book, which was, (laughs) I want to write about this toothless eccentric who steals wild orchids. I mean, it sounds very odd. (laughs) You know, and I said it to my publisher and I watched his face very carefully (laughs) because I thought, what is he going to just give me this blank stare and say, what are you talking about? (laughs) But luckily he said, I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) If you're excited about it, go do it. 
that's very lucky too, to have magazines and publishers who've been willing to let me just turn on that road that looks kind of interesting. That's been your experience, right? I mean, almost from the get-go. Yes, and that was partly because my editor got so frustrated right. with me. I, my first job, I had been given a beat, and my beat was to cover county government. You know, what could be more horrible? I mean, for a young reporter, the idea of covering county government. I was living in Portland, Oregon at the time, and I'm sure somebody could make it really interesting But I started writing about the stories that I wanted to write about. And my justification always was, well, it took place in the county. (laughs) And and so my editor, I think he was exasperated because I wasn't going to the county board meetings and the things that would be (laughs) expected of you. But I think he had the good sense to realize that it's not that I was incapable of doing that, but my natural inclination and instinct was something very, very different. And he finally just threw his hands in the air and said, okay, just do do it however you do. And it doesn't mean that I haven't had to toe a line or meet deadlines or hit the mark. It's just that I've been allowed to follow my curiosity. And that's been very lucky and very gratifying. So back to the orchid thief. (laughs) What was it like to hike around in the swamps? (laughs) Well, it was horrible. (laughs) When I started the book and I started doing the research, I knew that this man that I was writing about, John LaRoche, had gone hiking into the swamp in South Florida looking for these rare orchids. I said to everybody I knew, I'm going to do this book, but I am not going in the swamp. (laughs) I mean, I will read about it. I'll interview people about it. But I am not going to swamp. (laughs) And then a few weeks later, when I was waist deep in the swamp, I thought to myself, how did I get here? And that's the amazing thing when you're reporting is you often do things that in your personal life you would never do. I mean, Mm -hmm. I remember standing on the edge of that swamp for the first time and having to step in (laughs) and this was scary the water was black there are rattlesnakes there are alligators you know it's just filled with critters and stuff and I thought I cannot believe I'm doing this I just took a deep breath and stepped in after I'd finished the book I went back with a friend I pointed to the swamp We were driving through the Fakachi Strand, which is the state preserve in Florida. He said to me, be honest, you didn't really walk in there, did you? Because when you look at it, you think, no way (laughs) would you go for a five-mile hike in this swamp. I looked at it, and for a moment, I thought, did I really do that? Because, (laughs) boy, I sure wouldn't do it again. But I ended up going into the swamp for these long, many-hour-long hikes. I think I went in five times. Each time midway, I would have a moment of utter panic, thinking, I've got to get out of here, and there's no way to get out. I mean, there was one time when we had hiked in pretty far, I thought, I have to get out of here. It was almost claustrophobia, which is funny because you're out 
in the wilderness. And yet the feeling was this claustrophobia of thinking, I have to get out of here immediately. And I was with a park ranger and he said, well, there isn't a way to get out immediately. Oh, I mean, the only way to get out is for you to walk out or for me to carry you. And then I have to walk out and I calm myself down. <laughs> you know, it was fascinating and I'm thrilled that I did it. I mean, swamps are amazing places with every life form imaginable, and they're pretty extraordinary. But it's not the place that I would choose to <laughs> hang out. And I threw all my clothes away as soon as I got out of the swamp. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So filthy and covered with muck and bug spray. And, oh, you know, I just, God. Oh, it was gross. Was there ever a part of you that thought that that would have been Meryl Streep in there? <laughs> that yes. it would be. <laughs> Never in a million years. <laughs> Never. I mean, as I was working on the book, it was such an eccentric book. I never for one minute imagined a movie being made from it. And then when the book was optioned, I thought, you're crazy. This is not a movie. Right. And I thought, well, that's not my problem. That's his problem right. now. And I just put it out of my head and I really didn't take it very seriously. And then lo and behold, they call me and say, well, what do you think? if we cast Meryl Streep as you? And I thought, well, that's a crazy question. What do you say when someone asks you that? And I said, Heck yeah. I almost thought they were kidding. And right. I said, yeah, yeah, well, I think I'm okay with that. <laughs> Did you meet her? Yes, I met her and we became friends. I mean, she's a wonderful woman, just couldn't be smarter, nicer. She's wonderful. And I met her after they'd already shot the film, but before it was released. She was very funny about it. And she <laughs> apologized and said, I hope you like what I did. And <laughs> I thought, I think I'm going to be okay with what you did. <laughs> whatever you did. Whatever you did. Whatever. <laughs> Susan, can you tell us about your writing process? When do you write? Where? How much time do you spend writing every day? My schedule, because I'm writing from research, unlike maybe a fiction writer who might write every day, I would say 70% of my time is spent out doing research, reporting, interviewing. So I'm not writing every day. When I'm done with my research, though, I write every day. I have a little writing studio that's just 200 feet from my house, but it's important to me that it's a separate little building. I write from usually about 10 a.m. I don't have a specific amount of time I write. Instead, I have a specific number of words I like to write each day. My goal is to write a thousand words a day. If I accomplish that in an hour, which is impossible, but if I were to accomplish it in a couple of hours and I decide, great, I can stop for the day. If it takes me all day and into the night, I really try to stick to that thousand words. It's important, I think, to have a very concrete goal when you're doing something that's really very abstract, like writing. It's really helped me. It's really been an important way for me to just do bite-sized pieces of work. And a thousand words is a pretty ambitious 
number in a day. And there are days where I don't make it, but I really look toward it. And if I hit a thousand words, it's this great sense of accomplishment. I've written in many different environments. I've written in an office. I've written in a coffee shop. I've written in the library. I'm really not that fussy about the environment, but I need to have my notes with me. So having a separate little space in my house that nobody else uses, it works really well. But I've written in hotel rooms. I wrote a lot of The Orchid Thief, in fact, in hotel rooms because I was traveling a lot. I actually loved it because there are no distractions. There's nothing else to do in a hotel room. (laughs) You can't go clean the kitchen or reorganize your closet. I mean, there's nothing there. It's a very neutral space. I know some people who, when they're on an intense deadline, will go stay in a hotel just to be in a place like that where there's absolutely no temptation to do something else. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're on a deadline, your closets will be so organized. Your house will be so clean because Mm -hmm. every possible household chore becomes a siren call. It's so true. (laughs) You suddenly think, I've got to colorize my books on my bookshelf. Yeah. Or I've got to switch my closet (laughs) from summer clothes to winter clothes. I mean, it's crazy. And being away from home is actually often a great place to be. But, you know, that's not always possible. So you've got to develop some amount of discipline. I like to write whenever I'm writing, ideally from the first word through to the last. So I like to write in the order in which it will be read. It feels more organic to write as if I'm telling a story. And that feels like it needs to begin at the beginning and move through the arc of the story to the end. So when you're finished writing for the day, Do you put the book away or do you think about the book Mm -hmm. the rest of the day or how does that go? It's not in the front of my mind, but when I'm working on something, it is constantly churning in the back. I'm never not thinking about it, but a lot of that thought is on a subconscious level. But I know that it's happening because when I sit down the next day, I'm often ready to go right away. And I think, wow, I guess I was working this out in my mind when I wasn't sitting in front of the computer. And what I like to do when I'm away from the work is to do something very, very different. I love to garden. I love to cook. I like to do something physical. But it's almost as if it lets my mind keep working on the book. While I'm sitting there gardening and focusing on weeding, it's almost a meditative kind of state of mind where it doesn't require deep thought to weed a garden. It's very absorbing, so it's a kind of way to relax while the deeper part of my brain is still at work. That really makes sense. And, you know, as we do here at Health Gig, it's kind of we talk about what keeps us healthy, mind, body, and spirit. So it sounds like that is a meditative practice for you in a way. I think that doing something physical, doing something very absorbing, but not intellectual. That's not to suggest that gardening or cooking or going for a run, it of course requires your mind, but it's a different 
I mean, I love to read, but reading is too similar to writing. Yeah, right. So it's more, I think, a better balance to mm-hmm. do something that absorbs you in that other way. I mean, cooking is great in that way. There are a set of instructions you're following. There's a lot of precision and it's physical, but it allows the deeper part of your mind to be detached. I think that your mind has all of these different levels and relieving some of the pressure on that deep thought. It's just a great way to balance out that work of sitting in front of a blank page and creating. If you weren't a writer, what do you think you would be? Mm, I've often thought about that. When I was in high school, I had a brief moment of thinking that I wanted to be an urban planner because I love thinking about how cities work and communities work. And frankly, it's not that different from what I do with my writing, but it was just a different approach to it. I think it's something that I would still find kind of interesting. My father discouraged me. I think as a real estate developer, urban planners were kind of the devil. The de- yeah. So it, it was something where he said, no. He wanted you to be a lawyer, I thought I read. <laughs> he really wanted me to be a lawyer, and he was a lawyer. And he practiced when he had first come out of law school and then became a developer. But he believed that legal education was just a good thing for everyone to have. And he persisted in the idea that I should go to law school, even after I had published several books. And (laughs) said to me at one point, you know, it's not too late for you to go to law school. And I said, Dad, you know what? I think it's too late. I really do. (laughs) It became this hilarious thing. I thought, what are you saying? I've published three (laughs) books already and you're telling me I still need to go to law school. He really believed that it was a good thing for everybody to do. And I said, well, I don't really want to be a lawyer. So why don't I kind of skip those three miserable years of law school? (laughs) Susan, what is your favorite book or article that you've written? And also, what do you consider your greatest failure? I traveled with a gospel group down south and wrote about their life on the road. And it was a revelation in so many ways. So rewarding to kind of step into a subculture to which I would have never had access Mm. and to try to describe the rhythms of that life and the people involved and to try to write the story in the most musical way I could imagine because it was all about music. And it remains to this day probably the piece that I'm proudest of. What's the title of it? It's called Devotion Road, and it was in The New Yorker. Now I have to admit, I don't remember what year it was published, but it's also in my collection, The Bullfighter Checks Your Makeup. Mm -hmm. And it really combined everything that I care about as a writer, this impulse to go down the road that maybe hadn't been obvious and have it open into this very rich, wonderful, fascinating, engaging universe. I'm really proud of that. My greatest failure. Ooh, wow. (laughs) Uh, Gosh, I don't want to give you a flip answer. Um, I think that 
if I were to think of what my greatest regrets are professionally is that I wish I were faster because there's so many stories that I have in my head that I really eager to take on and I just can't seem to work any faster than I do. So I'm not sure I would specifically call that a failure, but it's my greatest disappointment Mm -hmm. that I just can't go any faster because there's just so many great stories and yet I can't seem to get to them any more quickly. You know, it's funny when we ask about that greatest failure is the idea is that there's tons of failures out there, but some of the best ones are the ones that we learn from and can do better from. So I think we all benefit from that failure or regret of yours because the work that you do is so amazing. You know, if you were a speedy, speedy person, it might not be as in-depth. Yeah, I guess that in a way, it's part and parcel of Mm. the things I'm proudest of. And maybe that's just the inevitability that your strength is bound up in your weakness and Mm -hmm. that you have to accept it. I'm not fast, but I'm really thorough and my books take me a long time. You know how your DNA, certain chromosomes are paired and I feel like the things you're proudest of and the things you're most disappointed by often are paired in Mm -hmm. that same way. Susan, we love The Orchid Thief and all your books, but what's one book you think everyone should read? The list is vast, of course, but I think everyone should read The Odyssey. It is not only the template for so much literature, it's also something that really addresses the fundamental questions of life. The idea of the journey, the challenges, the temptations, the obstacles in the path that any of us takes. I don't think anybody ever addressed it more fully and more eloquently than Homer did in the Odyssey. And that's why we're still reading it centuries later. I think it's a wonderful bedrock for not just in a literary way, but in a philosophical and spiritual way. Do you have a favorite quote? I do. I mean, again, there's so many wonderful quotes, but this is the Tikkun Olam. It's from the Talmud. Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justice now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. You are not obliged to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. That's really beautiful. I think it's so beautiful and relevant always. And it's about the obligation we all have to try our best and to be aware of the mark we make in the world in each gesture that we make in each endeavor that we undertake, that there is an impact on the world. And none of us is necessarily going to heal the world, but we can try in our small ways to contribute some goodness to the world. We want to just thank you for being on Health Gig. We just so admire you. We love your work. And we're just grateful to you. And you are so inspirational, Susan. Wow. Thank you so much. 
It's been so much fun to talk to you about. We can't wait to reread the Odyssey. Fantastic. Let's do book club. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been just a joy talking to you. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well. <laughs>